0: So if you remember, this kind of story is at the very end of Jesus' confrontation with the Pharisees. Remember we had the, the uh, miracle of feeding of the 4,000, and uh, they gathered baskets full, they gathered seven baskets full. And here we are immediately after that last confrontation with the Pharisees, where he told them, he says, you know, you look for a sign, a sign's not going to be given to this generation. And he kind of gets in the boat, and he heads somewhere else. It's pretty startling that there are numerous things that happen in in the boat with these disciples. And it's pretty crazy that a majority of the disciples, they are very at home on the water, they're very at home being in the boat, and on numerous occasions they find themselves not really picking up on what Jesus wants them to learn. For example, you remember when they were in the sea, right? They were on the, the sea, and remember the storm came up? And the storm came up so much so that they woke Jesus, right? They said, do you not care that we're going to perish? And you know, Jesus gets up and he rebukes the winds, and their fear moved from the storm to the man who was in the boat, right? And then you remember how whenever Jesus walked on water, right, and Peter said, hey, can I come out to you? Remember, they didn't really understand who they were dealing with. And here we are yet again in a boat with these men. And I love this. If I've never saw myself in Scripture, this story helps me see myself in Scripture. Amen? Because they're sitting there. Look what they say. The first thing on their mind, they must be bad to say, amen. the first thing on their mind is what? They had forgotten to bring bread. They had forgotten to bring a snack pack. They had forgotten to bring, you know, Cheerios. They had forgotten to bring all the snacks. That tells you there was not a woman in the boat, amen, Uh, because mama's always got snacks, right? Mama's always got snacks in her purse. And so you can imagine here that they look around and says, we don't have any bread. And they said, we only got one loaf. They got 13 brothers in the boat, and they got one loaf of bread, They are crack-a-lacking, amen. I mean, you can understand that they don't have much of anything. And they're sitting there looking at this one tiny loaf, and Jesus speaks up while they're arguing among themselves, and he cautioned them. And what does he say to them? He says what? Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. What does that have to do with the bread problem? Absolutely nothing, right? Like literally, they're sitting there looking at their lunches and they're like, We got one loaf. And Jesus, out of left field, he looks at him and says, Be careful that you do not have the leaven like Herod and the Pharisees have leaven. They're like, But we got no bread. But we got no bread, God. But we got no bread, Jesus. I don't think you understand what we're dealing with. We got no bread, we got nothing. It's interesting here that Jesus puts Herod and the Pharisees in the same camp. Very, very peculiar here, because this is not a political statement. And remember, Herod is the reigning uh, king, I will say very, very cautiously. He's been placed there by Rome, right, to kind of manage the authority. He's no more king than you are, right? Uh, he's He's a puppet, if you would. But he's managing Israel for the Roman Empire. And understand that the Pharisees are a religious sect, right? They don't even really like Rome, right? They don't even like the establishment, you could say. So you have these two very, very distinct, different people groups, But Jesus puts them in the same category. Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Beware. He says it twice, actually. He says, watch out. And then he says, beware. Kind of like a double warning, like watch out, watch out, watch out, watch out. I mean, you know what I mean? Like he's saying, hey, be careful here. Really watch out what's going on. Because he wants to get their attention. Because they're focusing on the wrong thing. They're focusing on the wrong thing here. Because what is this leaven that Jesus is speaking of? This leaven for us, we read this and we read of leaven. We don't really know much about that these days because we don't really bake that much things from scratch, right? I don't know about you, but I like a box cake just like I like one bought, right? I mean, at the end of the day, we don't really mix our own bread. Emily showed me this thing the other day where it's this bread maker. If you put all the ingredients in this big box and three hours later, bread comes out. Like it needs it for you and everything else, like that. Some of y'all remember when COVID first happened. My wife, she made homemade bread and she made it one time and said never again. Uh, because she got tired of needing it. She was wore out. She said never again. We had to buy yeast. And who knew yeast was so expensive? Uh, you know, you had to have the right kind of yeast, right? They got 64 different flavors. Who knew? And like we just don't have much comparison to this in our culture. But for these people to hear of yeast and leaven, they'd automatically know hey, yeast really affects things. When yeast gets a hold of things, right, I can really make an explosion happen, think about it in our modern context. The best way I know to describe it to you, it's kind of like mold for us. You know, mold gets on one fruit if it's in the if it's in the container with the rest of the food. You know as well as I will, right, that that'll spread very quickly because of close contamination. So understanding here that he's telling them, hey, watch out for this thing that shows very, very starts off very, very small and grows very rapidly, and it takes over. So what is this leaven of the Pharisees and this leaven of Herod? It's skepticism. What do I mean by skepticism? I mean it's the idea of disbelief. It's the idea of doubt, you could say. Such doubt that it, 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 it infests every area of your life. And skepticism has deep, deep roots that go even further back than your generation or my generation and go further, further, further. Skepticism goes all the way back to the very Garden of Eden itself. It's placing doubt in the human brain that God is not good. It's placing doubt in us that God is withholding something from us. It places doubt to question the very word of God. And let me remind you of this fact, church. When we question what God has said on something, we are questioning God Himself. Because what God says, God means. What God says, he does. And when you question what God has said, once again, you're calling God's character into question, and that's a very, very dangerous place to be in. So he tells them, he says, you're looking at the bread when I'm telling you, watch out what you're really focusing on. And how do we know this? Because what does Jesus do? He elaborates here. They hear this, and once again, I see myself here. I don't know about you, but you can probably see yourself here. Jesus says, hey, watch out. They look at each other and say, they began discussing with one another the fact they had no bread. Jesus gives them a warning. Hey, watch out for the Pharisees. Watch out for the leaven of Herod. And what do they do? They look around and say, we got just one loaf of bread, Jesus. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Look at this, look at these massive amounts of questions. He just boom, boom, boom. Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Have your eyes not have have you eyes but not see? Have you ears and do not hear? Do you not remember? Do you not remember? You're focusing on the bread when literally the bread of life is in your boat. He says, you know, it's kind of good to take it all the way back. He says, you're worried about the storm when the one who controls the storm is in your boat. He says, you're worried about the water when the one who commands the molecules of H2O to come together to make water in the first place, who binds it together, is in your boat. Because here's the fact, church, how many times we focus on thing after thing after thing when the God who supplied the thing is with us. Because that's the thing. Here's They're focusing on the bread when the one who provided the bread in the first place was in the boat with them. They're worried about one loaf. Jesus, we got one loaf. We got 12 people in this boat, Lord. We got 13. And I know you're fasting, but we ain't fasting. You know, you can imagine here that they are very frustrated. Why? Because they are focusing on something physical, but everything physical that we focus on sometimes has spiritual foundations that are broken. Because you can see here that for, for Jesus, he sees beyond the bread. He sees what's really going on here. Some of you are thinking, what's the big deal? It's about bread. You know, they ain't got bread. No, the big deal is they don't have faith. They don't have faith. Why? Because they had missed who was in the boat with them. You see, they, they had missed it. They had just seen Jesus multiply loaves and sardines, right? And feed 4,000 people easily. They had already previously seen Jesus feed up towards a 15,000 people. They had seen Jesus at the wedding of Canaan. Look at those empty jars of water and turn it into the finest wine anybody ever tasted before. They had seen Jesus come through time and time and time again. And guess what? Not only had they seen Jesus do it, they had heard stories about how God had done it. They heard stories how they were in the wilderness and God made it rain bread from the sky. They had heard story after story how God had made water come from a rock. They had heard story after story how God had always provided. And the question I want to ask you here, church, is how many times in our own lives we have a moment, we have an encounter with something, and we look at the problem and think it's bigger than the God who actually provides for every problem. Because we're looking at our little loaves and I don't think God can do something here. I don't think God is able to heal in this situation. My doctor said this. My my, my bank account looks like this. We we have all these issues and all these worries when we forget time and time again. Like we sing about this morning. All my life, God, you've been faithful. All my life, God, you've been so, so good. So I'm going to keep singing it. Why? Because it's always going to be true. And even if God stripped everything away from you this morning you would still have reason to sing that song loudest with the rest of us. Because we're not singing about the we're not singing about the financial gain of the Lord no. We're not singing about how he heals in all circumstances no. We're singing about his goodness. His goodness means what he does everything good. Everything good. We're singing about his goodness. My first question I'll ask you this morning is, what truth is God wanting to reveal to you at this time in your life? What truth is God wanting to reveal to you at this time in your life? He goes on to ask him that question. Once again, he, he kind of beats around the bush, but finally he gets down to it. He says, what? Well, when I broke the five loaves of the 5,000, how many baskets full did you take up? They say, Lord, we took up 12. He said, when I I fed the 4,000, how many baskets did you take up? And they said, we took up seven, Lord. You know the answer to this. It's not a pop quiz. You know the answers. Finally, get down to the bottom there in verse number 21. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Do you not yet understand? I wonder what truth right now God is trying to reveal to us in our lives. And we are stubborn as all get out to get the answer. I wonder how many times, kind of like you, kind of some of y'all here last week and you were here the week before, you're kind of seeing that Mark is he's jamming these stories together because he really wants you to pick up on how many times God has to tell us things over and over again. Do you know why it's so critically important that you come to church? It's not because the church needs your money. It's not because, you know, that you get to see your brothers and sisters. All that is very, very, maybe have some good things to it and very, very true to it in some cases. But let me remind you, the number one reason we come to the house of God is to be reminded of God's goodness every week. Every week to be told the same truth over and over again. Every week to be reminded. Why? Because only one hour a week for most of us in this room, the sad reality is that's the only time you hear about the goodness of God. The rest of the six days you're hearing lies from the enemy. You're hearing lie after lie after lie. Lie after lie. You're hearing what the world wants you to hear. You're you're becoming the person the world wants you to become. And you're being being discipled by the very kingdom of the prince of the power of the air. So let me ask you that again. What what is that thing that God's wanting to reveal to you? What is that that truth that God's wanting you to know? What is that thing? What, What is that bread that you're focusing on? What is that one thing you're thinking, man, if I just had this, if I just had that, and God's saying, let me, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. Focus on me. If you focus on me, I'm telling you, that thing will take care of itself. Just focus on me. Keep your eyes on me. And don't worry about these other things. That's not saying you should never eat He'd be like, let me tell you something, you don't look at your free, it's just going to come up empty, right? At the end of the day, I'm not saying you should never work and say, well, you know, Lord told me to just focus on the Lord. No, there, there's, there's a measure of us where we have to, we have to. I love the, I can't believe who said it, I, what theologian, he said, you pray like it all depends on God and you work like it all depends on you. A lot of truth to that, right? You pray like it all depends on God and you work like it all depends on you. You do both. You do both. But Let me ask you another question. Maybe this will be a little bit more pointed to your problem this morning. What lie is the enemy wanting you to focus on instead? What is the lie that the enemy is wanting you to focus on instead? I'll give you a classic example um, of this. is Maybe the lie of the enemy is you are ugly. You should be ashamed of yourself. You look horrible. We live in a culture I'm not going to lie to you, it is extremely difficult. I can't fathom being a woman in our culture these days. They don't even know what you are, right? I really don't you can't succeed if you go to work they'll say you're a bad mother because you're you're, somebody's taking care of your kids you stay at home they'll say you're a bad provider for your kids because you should have been working right y'all know i'm talking about you constantly get told what the beauty of definition what the definition of beauty is and when you reach that definition of beauty guess what the definition changes you grow your hair out long and then short hairs and you cut your hair off amen and for some of us of some of the guys god took care of before us praise god at the end of the day, I tell you, it is incredibly difficult to even think about being a female, being a woman in our culture. Because you're being bombarded on a constant, constant, daily basis of told what a woman is, what a woman isn't, what a beauty is, what beauty isn't, what a mother is, what a mother isn't, what a wife does, what a wife doesn't do. You're constantly bombarded with it. Let me remind you this, you daughters of the king. If you don't get yourself in God's word, the enemy will spoon-feed you lies all day. They'll keep spoon-feeding it to you, spoon-feeding it to you. And at the end of the day, we have to focus on God's truth instead of the lies of the enemy. Pastor Nick, how do I know it's God's truth? What do I, how do I know if something's from the enemy? I love a One other theologian, he said, "He said in the morning I read uh, the newspaper and then I read God's words to fi- figure out what the lies are or the truth is. How true is that? We take every thought captive and bring it to the word of God. Church, we do not sing, I am what the world says I am. I am what my in-laws say I am. I am what my wife says I am. No, what do we say? I am who you say I am. That's who I am. There's an identity shift, right? There's an identity shift. Where we say, no, I'm not those things. I'm who God says I am. I believe the truth of God's Word, not the lies of the world. But sadly, many of us Myself included, we have an identity problem and it comes out in our everyday lives. Our identity has changed, but our behavior is catching up to our identity. What do I mean by this? give you a classic example. This is going to hit Michelle and Donnie on the head because I know they're really passionate about this. Let's say you have a dog. Michelle perked up. Let's say you have a dog who its entire life, that dog has been an abusive home where that owner has came in and hit that dog for no good reason, and the dog is always mistreated, the dog doesn't get fed, the dog doesn't get water, if you take that same dog and put them in the Keelan house, they moving on up, you know what I mean? Like, literally, they went from not having a name to sleeping in the bed, right? Uh, They went from not being fed to eating better than their husband eats in the home, amen? Uh, They went from not having clothes to having more sweaters than most of us possess. Best health care in the county over there at the Keelan Canal, Amen. At the end of the day, you know, what's going to happen is, stay with me here, i got a really good point of this, I want you to really get this. The dog's identity has changed. The dog has went from being mistreated and being a nuisance to being a problem to being treasured and being appreciated. And it's, it's been receiving different care in both houses. But the fact of the matter is, whenever that dog moves home for the first couple months of that dog's new existence, even though its identity has shifted, guess what? Its character will take a long time to catch up to its identity. Why? Because it will act like it's still being mistreated. Whenever Donnie would go to pet that dog, guess what? The dog would cower. Not because of what Donnie's done, but because of what the previous owner has done. Some of y'all ain't getting it. I lost you at Kennel a Keelan, Amen. When I'm telling you here today, the only way we have to fight against the enemy is the truth of God's word. We have it so much ingrained in us, it becomes our identity. I am who God says I am. I have what God says I have. And it's going to take you a long time to walk in the power of that identity. But if I can just get you to shift and really believe this simple truth, if I can get you to believe this one truth, it'll change your entire life. Jesus loves me. No matter what I do, Jesus loves me. No matter what I have done, Jesus loves me. No matter what I'm going to do, Jesus loves me. If I can get you to really ingrain it in your soul that God loves you, not for who you are, but for who He is, and that you bring nothing to the table and it's just unwarranted, unwavering, compassionate grace. If I get you to walk in the power of that, you talk about changing a county, we change a state, you change a nation. But the sad reality is we have a hard time walking in that identity. We have a hard time being in the boat with Jesus and looking and saying, I got no bread. I got no bread. I got no bread. Pastor Nick, what in the world does having no bread got to do with a a blind guy? Got a lot to do with it. Because this is exactly why Mark puts these stories through the power of the Holy Spirit right next to each other. Look what happens in verse number 22. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. So once again, this is kind of like Jesus' normal thing, right? He goes somewhere, people swarm him. People, people always saying, Jesus, please, please, Jesus, take care of this problem. Please, please, please. You think your life is busy, can you fathom being this man? Can you fathom being the Son of God going everywhere you go and people begging at you, pulling at you, saying, please do something. Verse 22, verse 23, I'm sorry. He took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. I love this. If you're like me, when I first time I read this, I just ran right over it. He took the blind man by the hand. He led him out the village. How personal is our God? You missed it like I missed it. You're slow like I am. It's okay. <laughs> what do I mean by this? Jesus could have looked at this man, Donnie, could have looked right at him and said, Hey, you're healed. Hey, you get it. You get eyes. He could be like Oprah giving away cars, right? You're a boom limp, no more. Bam, bam, boom, boom, boom. Been passing out miracles like it's hotcakes, right? But what does Jesus do to show you how personal our God is? He grabs the man's hand. He didn't grab him by the scruff of the neck. Say, "Come here." He didn't grab him by the arm. Say, "Get over here." And scorpion voice, if you're a Mortal Kombat fan. He didn't do any of that. What does he do? He tenderly takes the hand from his friends to his own hand and guides them outside the village. you got to think, for this man, he's thinking, where, where are you leading me? Where am I going? Where are my friends? You can imagine in your... Once again, this is the Bible, this is my imagination, right? You can imagine for a second that Jesus says, I've got you. Just keep following me. Just keep following me. I've got you. Just trust me. trust me, I've got you. Oh, how how many times, brother and sister, we are like that blind man. We are blind to the things of God. We are blind to the goodness of God. And at the end of the day, you know what we all need to do? It's the same command Jesus gave to the disciples 2,000 years ago. Follow Him. There's an old Baptist hymn we used to sing back in the day, wherever He leads, I'll go. Wherever He leads, I'll go. I will follow my Christ who loves me so. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Because let me promise you this, brother. Let me promise you this, sister. Wherever the Lord is leading you is way better than you can fathom or imagine. Way better. How do I know? I can guarantee you why, because he's leading you to heaven. Better than you can fathom or imagine. He guides this man by the hand. Maybe that man went on to get a tattoo on his forearm and says, hold me by the hand like Jeb's got uh, you can imagine here that he was led by the hand he took the man by the hand led him out of the village and when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him he asked him do you see anything I don't know about y'all but that's not a walk-in clinic I don't want, I don't want Kaylee to do that to me you go see her like hey how are you she's like hey I'm gonna spit and I'm gonna wipe it on your face you're gonna be good I'm thinking where's Hunter at now this does not sound like good medical practice. The man literally, can you imagine? Put yourself on skin. Can you imagine this? He's standing there, can't see nothing, blind as a bat, been blind who knows how long. And all of a sudden he hears Jesus spit. He's probably thinking, oh, "Well, all right." Then he feels something wet. Whoa! 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 What do you? What do you put on my face? What did you do? And then Jesus got me. You can. You can see it, can't you? Do you see anything? You. Can, imagine blinking you know not for the first time in his life not seeing anything and what does he see it's pretty comical and he looked at him and said I see people but they look like trees walking what he blinks a couple times said, I see people but they look like trees that are walking then Jesus laid his hands on him so he put Jesus put his hands on him and look at the, the, the critical couple of verbs there he opened his eyes he opened his eyes, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, do not even enter the village. Pastor Nick, reading this, does this mean that Jesus cannot heal completely? Because you'd be tempted to do that. You'd be tempted that maybe this guy had such blindness that took two touches from the master. Let me remind you of this, church. There's more power in Jesus' thoughts than you can possibly fathom. So this is not an account where maybe Jesus' God level was kind of running low and like the power was leaving him. No, we need to understand something about Christ. We need to understand something about the text. Jesus does not do anything accidentally. No accidents, right? No accidents in the Bible, no accidents when it comes to God's hand in your life. God is perfect and good in all of his ways. So this is not like Jesus kind of halfway healed him, and he was kind of saying, well, we'll kind of see what happens. Maybe I'll come back, and I'll see you later. Follow me in three weeks, and I'll see if your eyes are still doing good. No. When we see Christ heal in any account in the Bible, it's a complete heal. The, the deaf does not just hear in one ear. He hears in all completeness, right? The lame does not have to get a walker and then start, you know, doing the Forrest Gump run, and his braces break off, Right? No, the Bible tells us over and over again, who Jesus heals, he heals completely. So why, Pastor Nick, why in the world is this brother need two touches? Why in the world, Pastor Nick, does he need spit and laying on of hands? Why in the world would Christ have to do this two times? I'm glad you asked. Because we don't really know. We don't really know. I tell you what we can, we can kind of look into, and this is what uh, deep theological work and a lot of looking into the text and really understanding how Mark kind of lays things out. This is the best guess we have for what Christ is trying to teach us. This man, when he was spit on with the mud the first time, if you remember the text, this is what? It says he could see, but the people around him looked like trees that were walking. So he could see, but he couldn't see. If you've got horrible vision, you get this. Like me, I've got horrible vision. I've got negative 475 in both eyes, which means if I take out my contacts right now, you all look like walking trees. I, I can resonate with this 100%. And I used to think I had bad vision and tell my eye doctor the other day, he said, let me tell you something, Nick. He said, I know you think you've got horrible vision. I saw a patient earlier today. He had negative 15 in both eyes. And he said, I can replicate this for you. He replicated it. I was, thank you, Lord, for negative 475. Thank you, Lord, because it was bad. It was horrible. He said, you ought to be thankful for the little bit that you don't have. Because there's other people out there that have it worse than you do. So you can, I can resonate with this. But the second time, whenever he touches him, he says he sees everything clearly. Because here is the truth. This man may have been suffering from physical blindness. He could not see with his eyes, but let me tell you this, his soul was wide open. He knew exactly who he was dealing with. The comparison, though, on the flip side, was the disciples were seen physically, but they were not seen spiritually. You see, in all truth and reality here, there are two groups of blind people in the story. There's the disciples who are spiritually blind, and there's this man who is physically blind. And in both cases, the remedy is the same. In both cases, the only one who can take care of physical blindness and the only one who can take care of spiritual blindness is Christ, the God-man, right? He's the only one, church. And at the end of the day, if you were to say, Pastor, what's something even further than that? At the end of the day, you could even argue that the disciples... Before the resurrection, they had a little bit of partial healness. They saw kind of what Christ was about. They saw his ministry like people are walking trees, right? They saw a little bit of who Christ was. But after the resurrection, right, after they saw the resurrected king, they looked back and said, man, we should have seen it. We should have known that the Son of Man would go die at the hands of the Romans. We should have seen it. I love what the prophets say there in the walk to Emmaus. I love what the brothers say to each other. They say, oh, how our hearts burned within us when He talked to us. Guess how true it is that God is slow and kind to us, and our eyes slowly but surely start to see God's hand in our lives, sometimes the older we get. The older you get, you can be very, very thankful for the opportunities God, God allowed you to miss, praise God. When you get older, you can go back and look back at God. You thank God that He crushed that relationship. You thought you were going to make it, and God said, not today. And at the end of the day, you look back over and over again at your life, and you think, God, why did I get that promotion? Because God knew if He gave you that promotion, it would be promoting you past your character, and you would fall and stumble. So God removed it, kept your family where it was, because God loves you, church. God loves you. I love what I saw church time in Paducah said, sometimes God's rejection is God's protection. How true that is. Because we don't see. We don't see what God's trying to teach us. We don't see what God's trying to show us. We don't see what God's doing in our lives. And it's because we're not looking. We're not looking through the lenses of Scripture. We're not looking through the eyes of of Christ, we're not looking at things like that. If you say, Pastor what do we need? We need a healing touch of God to say, God, heal my, heal my ear so I can hear from you. God, heal my eyes so I can see your hand in my life. God, show me. God, show me what you're doing. God, give me wisdom to know what I should do and what I shouldn't do. God, help me, Father. Help Me, God. Because my last point to you this morning, and I think it's critical to the whole sermon, if you don't pay attention to anything else I've said, hopefully you hear this. With the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus corrects our spiritual blindness through the transformational work of the gospel in everyday life. By the power of God's Spirit in our lives, Christ is able to, to correct our spiritual blindness through the transformational power of the gospel in everyday lives. You know the lie that the American church has bought and believed for the past several hundred years? Is you think believing in the gospel is a one-time occurrence? You think, I believe the gospel, I got saved, I no longer need the gospel. Let me remind you of this sobering truth. We never get over the gospel. Never get over it. The gospel is so, so simple that a child can understand it. That Christ came, Christ lived, Christ died, and Christ resurrected all for me. We know that's true, right? A simple child can understand it. But the gospel is so rich and the gospel is so deep that if we spent our entire, every day working our lives, combing through its pages, looking what Christ wants to show us, we would exhaust our time before eternity caught up to us. It's that deep. And the fact of the matter is, if I can just get anything in our church, it would be to walk in your gospel identity. It would be to walk in God's power in your life, saying, I've been set free from sin so that I may not sin anymore, so I may be a servant of the King, because God's grace not only saved me, but God's grace is transforming me. And every day, the outer man is wasting away, but every day, the inner man is being renewed in the power of Christ. And I'm not who they say I am. I'm who God says I am. If I can get you to believe that, your kids' lives will be changed. If I can get you to walk in that, your marriage will be fixed, brother. If I can get you to really, really say it to you every day, I am who God says I am. Your life will be different. Because we would be walking in the power of God's identity. Saying I am who Christ says I am. I don't care what the world says, I'm who Christ says I am. And the only way you know who Christ says you are is you get in the book. You get in this book so much till this book gets in you. My father-in-law, he's a chaplain over at Tag's uh, Trucking there in Calvert City. A cha- he works with the United Chaplain Service. He's a chaplain there at Tag and he's a chaplain over at Coke. In Paducah. He just literally goes in and praises the guys, encourages them. And he was telling me, he said, Dude, I drove to Calvert City in the old Sequoia, amen. He was, I was listening to a sermon, and I remember that sermon. Uh, There's a psalm where it says, The Lord is my refuge in a very pleasant help in a time of trouble. Simple psalm, right? The Lord is my refuge in a very pleasant help in a time of trouble. He said, I used that thing 16 times today. <laughs> he said, I came in there, a psalm, wielding brother, amen. He said, You got a problem? The Lord is your refuge. In a very help, very pleasant help in a time of trouble. Some of you look at that and scoff and say, that might be good for him, but it ain't good for me. It's good for him because he's applied it to his life. So guess what? When the trouble comes, you know what? You remind yourself, the Lord is my refuge. The Lord is my refuge. Well, guess what? When the enemy hurls lies, you got your shield. You got your shield. You know why we're getting the floor wop with us? Because our war chest is empty. Our swords are rusty. Our shields are dropping. And at the end of the day, it's because God's word is not in us. God's word is something we pick up. When God's word should be something we live out. You say, God, I don't have to test the waters. I know what you've said. I don't got to sleep around because I know what you've said. God, I don't have to worry about that because I know what you've said. We believe what God says on the matter. And I'm going to say, it's half of you, brother and sister, I love you. You believe more on the news than you believe in God's word. And you see it all over our counties. Because let me tell you, it's not coming from there. That help and and your refuge and that help during times of trouble, it's not coming from there. It'd be a false sense of help. It'd be a false sense of security, but it won't last. It will not last. Because we've got to believe what God has said. We've got to believe it. I'll close with this. It reminds me of a story of a man who, he was a tightrope walker. And he told everybody, he says, I'm going to walk across Niagara Falls. And, of course, the crowd began to grow at Niagara that day. And sure enough, the guy got, he had his tightrope stretched all the way across Niagara Falls. And sure enough, the tightropist, he he walked all the way across that rope, all the way to the other side. He got to the other side, the crowd said, they clapped, they cheered. He said, who thinks I can do it again blindfolded? And the crowd cheered at odd noon and said, Yeah, yeah, yeah. So sure enough, he put on the blindfold. He walked across the tightrope, blindfolded. He says, Who in here believes I can do it not only blindfolded, but you solemnly believe I can do it pushing a wheelbarrow with me? And the crowd, oh man, I don't know about a wheelbarrow. You know, you put a wheelbarrow on there, you blindfold them. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Sure enough, he got in there and he took that wheelbarrow down and he went right across that rope. Just as clear and slick. As if he hadn't had a wheelbarrow. I just went straight across it. He got to the other side. He removed the blindfold. He looked at the crowd. They cheered. He was in, literally, they esteemed him. Said, you are amazing. I can't believe you're doing this. He says, who believes I can do it with a man or a woman or a child in the wheelbarrow with me? And they all said, hey, that's right, that's right. You can do it. You can do it. Uh, You know, at the end of the day, they said, you can do it. And he looked at the crowd. He says, who wants to get in? The wheelbarrow. The crowd got quiet. Everybody looked around. They looked around and nobody volunteered. Because let me tell you something how often, how true it is that is oftentimes the American church. How many times has it been true in my life? We know God is able in our head, but we don't know it in our heart. I know God can do it. And I believe God will do it for you, Pastor, but God won't do it for me. We look at the Savior of the world who's crossed more than a tightrope. He crossed eternity itself. Crossed eternity itself to look at me and you and say, get in the wheelbarrow. And we look at Him, we look at the falls of life, we look at the crowd around us, And we see nobody saying, I'll go, Lord. And so we don't even think. We say, that might be good for somebody, but it ain't good for me. And it's because we are spiritually blind. We have eyes, but we do not see. We have ears, but we do not hear. We have a mind, but we do not comprehend what God has in store for those who love Him. Won't you believe God today? Won't you do more than believe? Won't you trust God today? Because every time in Mark's gospel, he, atti- he attaches faith and belief with actions. If we say we believe, but we don't live like it, we're calling him a liar. Won't you get in the wheelbarrow this morning? Won't you get in? You might say, well, how big is that wheelbarrow? That wheelbarrow is big enough to hold your spouse too. That wheelbarrow is big enough to hold your kids too, Brother. That wheelbarrow's big enough to put your finances in there with you. That wheelbarrow's big enough, guess what, put your job in there. That wheelbarrow's big enough you can put anything and everything on his shoulders. Why? Because he holds up the universe with the power of his might. He's a big God. He's a big God and he can handle our small problems. So won't you come? Trust this God today. Won't you come pray? God, give me eyes to see, ears to hear a mind to comprehend. And won't you come get healed of spiritual blindness? Won't you come? Won't you come? Every head to bow.